everyone. Welcome back to Couple of Criminals, a new true crime podcast. My name is Mariah. And my name is Anton, and we are your average couple reviewing your not-so-average crimes. Today's episode is number four of a 50-part series that will be based around a crime in each state in the United States. So today's case will be based on a crime in Arkansas. We also want to take a moment to mention how truly grateful we are for the support and kindness people have shown us and obviously told us as we have started this podcast. We are very grateful for each one of you who listen to our episodes each week. Okay, let's get right into it. Anton is going to give us his regularly programmed joke, so let's hear what he has in store for us today. Okay, Mariah, there are two windmills standing on a wind farm. One asks, what is your favorite kind of music? Oh, I have no idea what that would be. The other replies, I'm a big metal fan. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's pretty funny. That's a good, that, one. That's a good, a good one. one. That's good. So today, Mariah, we are taking a look into one of the most controversial cases in Arkansas to this day. This is the story about the West Memphis Three. For a precaution for the listeners, this case does involve minors and some sexual assault and abuse. On the day of May 5th, 1994, three eight-year-old boys told their parents that they were going on a bike ride. Their names were Chris Byers, Stevie Branch, and Michael Moore. They made a promise to their parents that they would be home before dinner. When the boys did not return each to their respective homes, police were called. For the time the kids were last seen, it was about 5.30 p.m. To the time police were called, it was at 8 o'clock. The parents had no idea about their kids' whereabouts. This is why the police were called, of course. Byers' parents were the first to call, and then just after, the branch is called, and then the moors called. And of course, they were all just worried about their kids because they didn't come home. And so, police didn't actually start the search until the morning of May 6th, which was the next day. They and didn't start that yeah, night? they didn't start that night for, they didn't specifically say why, but it just was, it said that the search was started in the next, the next morning, which was May 6th. The chief inspector ended up heading uh, the search in a known area of the woods called Robin Hood Hills. The boys' bodies ended up being found that afternoon in a ditch located in Robin Hood Hills, which was like a place that the kids were normally oh my goodness used to playing at. That's a short search. Yeah, uh, the boys were found naked, beaten, and hogtied with their own shoelaces. Chris Byers was found with his penis skinned. Once the news hit, rumors started spreading about how the killer was most likely trying to perform a satanic ritual, and police did believe this could have been an act of an occult, of a cult. Oh my gosh, that sounds absolutely horrific. Yeah. I can't even imagine what the parents must be feeling. I know, me neither. So then on May 7th, Steve Jones, the gentleman who discovered the bodies, interviewed a local teenage boy whose name is Damien Eccles. He was interviewed mainly because the juvenile officer... Jerry Driver, who was watching over Eccles at the time, thought that he would be the right fit for the killer. Damien Eccles at the time was 17 years old when the murders happened. He was sought out by police because of multiple different things. He was troubled. He dropped out of high school and had said that before he might become the next Ted Bundy or Charles Manson to his psychiatrist. Not only that, he has evils inked across his fingers, plus he wore black clothes usually. Eccles was interviewed a total of three times, once on May 7th and then twice on May 10th. Each time Eccles did tell the police that he had no idea who the boys were, that he had never met them, and he had nothing to do with the murders. He did say that whoever did commit the murders was sick. He also told police about his whereabouts on the night of the murders, which he said 
He was at his mother's house on the phone with a couple of girlfriends. Eccles did agree to take a polygraph test, which he did show signs of deception. Which obviously we know polygraphs aren't all or nothing. Like it's Yeah, not they can't typically use polygraphs in a, a court anyways. Yeah. So after talking with Eccles, they also targeted one of his friends, Jason Baldwin. Baldwin was 16 at the time of the murders, but they also targeted him for having the same thing written across his knuckles, evil. He also denied having any knowledge of the murders of the boys. Police thought otherwise, though. Investigators were hitting a dead end, though, until Vicki Hutchinson came into the mix. Vicki was a waitress who wanted to play detective, as she said that she thought that the murders were due to cult-related activity. Not only that, she was neighbors with another boy who was also close with Eccles and Baldwin, Jesse Miss Kelly. And he's a seven, he was 17 at the time of the murders. Okay. So three boys. Vicky wanted to know more about Eccles, who Miss Kelly said was his friend who drank blood and stuff. Oh, that sounds... What? Yeah. Uh, Vicky told Miss Kelly to set up a date with Eccles because she would want to go out with him. And only a few... Only a few years later, we would know the exact tale of what happened the night that they went out. Here's the tale Vicky told the police. On the night of May 19th, Eccles drove Vicky and Miss Kelly out to what uh, they called an esbat, which is a gathering of witches. Wow. Out in a field outside of town. About 10 other younger people were there. Everyone there was painted black on their arms and face and started stripping down naked. Long story short, they were there to have an orgy in the field. Oh my goodness, that yeah. sounds... Vicky wanted to have no part with the orgy and then asked Eccles to take her home. And so he left to take her home while leaving Jesse, Miss Kelly at the orgy. And then in late May, Vicky and her eight-year-old son, Aaron, met with detectives. While Vicky shared her story about the SBAT, her son Aaron told detectives that he knew the boys and that they would normally play in Robin Hood Hills. And one time when they were there, they saw five men doing what men and ladies do. I'm not sure exactly what that may, might mean, but I would assume it was you can just probably the something along, yeah, along the lines of sexual acts. Yeah. Then on June 2nd, Vicky was polygraphed as well, which she ended up passing. After convincing polygraph evidence the police decided to bring jesse miss kelly in for questioning inspector gitchell who was the inspector um, leading that case went as far as to have jesse rat out his friends for the opportunity to cash in on the reward money of thirty five thousand dollars for information about the murders at first miss kelly stated that he did not participate in any satanic rituals as well as not committing murders the police thought otherwise though during his polygraph test but from what it sounds like this the police in West Memphis here uh, really liked polygraph tests because they seemed to polygraph test just about everyone. After about five hours of questioning Miss Kelly, by pretty much almost forcing him to say that he and his friends committed the murders, this was done mainly due to yelling at him and a lot of misdirection towards Miss uh, Kelly into getting to what the police wanted him to say. It happens all the time, though. Yeah. So the police would ask when the killings were done, and Miss Kelly would say in the mornings, when in reality it happened at night. And then also ask about what was used to tie up the kids, and Miss Kelly said a rope when, of course, we it, knew was what it was shoelaces. Yeah. But in, he, in his mind, he was going, from what I saw, he said kind of along the lines when it was reported on that... He would probably assume that he would know what was going on if he actually committed the murders, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then after five hours of forcing Miss Kelly to say these things, the police taped the confession 
and now the police had everything they needed to press charges against Eccles, Baldwin, and Miss Kelly. Then on June 3rd, all three boys were rounded up and charged with capital murder. To strengthen their case, the police actually re-interviewed Vicky's son, Aaron. And Aaron ended up telling police that he was there the day when the three other boys were killed. Apparently, Miss Kelly had contacted him the night before about getting his friends to come to Robin Hood Hills that night. He said he was able to get away from because Miss Kelly tied him up with a rope on a tree and then untied, untied shortly after. He also watched his friends get stabbed, stripped of their clothes, and then raped. Then on August 4th, in the pretrial hearings, the judge ruled that Miss Kelly would be tried separately from Eccles and Baldwin. Why? What was the reason? Due to the fact that he gave a confession and that it was pretty much making him seem like he wasn't really a part of doing the murders. Oh, okay. So on January 18th, 1994, so the next year, uh, Jesse Miss Kelly's trial started. So it started off with the state bringing forth Miss Kelly's confession, and then it stated that it may be forthcoming with some of the errors due to Miss Kelly's, yeah, trying to lessen his own guilt or how he tried to say he had nothing to do with the killings. Then the defense stated how police tried to have tremendous pressure on Miss Kelly during the questioning and how police tunneled visioned on Eccles and Baldwin from day one. So they thought they had their killer. Day yeah, one. we see that happen often, often all the time. They get tunnel vision yeah. and then they don't look at other possible They don't suspects. look at any other suspects. So. Yeah. so the defense had suspicions on the stepfather of Chris Byers, John Byers, but did not press against him during uh, the Miss Kelly trial. This would turn out to be nothing as even years later in 2012, no one suspected John of having anything to do with the murders, even when a new suspect arrived in the mix. When it was time for Inspector Gitchell to take the stand, that is, that is when the confession was played. So they played uh, Jesse Miss Kelly's confession when he took the stand. Okay. And then when the f- confession was finished, the inspector stated that Miss Kelly just got the information wrong and that was all. Yeah, but I mean, it's really wrong. Like, it's not accurate yeah, like he in didn't, any way. Miss Kelly didn't know any of it, but they only taped the part where he said the correct information and that his was... But it's possible yes. that they probed him to, to say, say that what they wanted. Information. Yes. So then it was time for the state to call the state crime lab technician. Her name was Lisa. This is due in part because they had no evidence connecting Jesse to the crime. At the scene of the crime, the police found microscopic fibers of green and red. The green was said to be connected to a shirt found at Eccles' home, and the red was connected to a bathrobe found at Miss Kelly's home. And then on cross-examination, it was found that the fibers could have belonged to just about any green shirt or any red bathrobe. This meant that the fibers found there were useless. So it was not strong evidence to convict Yeah, it wasn't strong evidence, and it wasn't like connecting anything to either one of these two boys. Right. Of them actually being at the scene. Then the defense went for it after the poly, uh, with the polygraph test examiner, but within the state of Arkansas, it didn't really matter because they could not use a polygraph test to state or point if he is innocent or not. So those mean nothing. So it really means nothing. It was stated that Miss Kelly was telling the truth to all but one question, which was about prior drug use. Oh my gosh, that's not even related to the crime. Yeah. So the next day, after closing statements, the verdict was made for Jesse Miss Kelly's and he was guilty of first-degree murder on all three accounts. And he was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe that. Yeah. It was all circumstantial evidence. Yeah. Just two weeks after the verdict was given of the Miss Kelly trial, the trial against Eccles and Baldwin started, so they were tried together. 
uh, the state did come out to say that Miss Kelly would not testify against his own friends. So this really put them at a disadvantage when it came to the prosecution. The, pro- the prosecution was going to heavily rely on trying to convince the jury that Eccles was pretty much possessed by Satan and that he's into cult things. The trial began the same way as Miss Kelly's trial started, as in the parents of the children recounted the last time they saw their kids on that night. They also found a knife behind Eccles' house in, I, I want to say it was a lake or a pond or some kind of thing or a river that would give the same wounds to what the kids sustained that night of the murders. Again, though, another knife was also found that could have been used, which was found to be in the possession of Chris Byer's stepfather, John. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the defense started off with Eccles' mom, Pam Eccles. She explained how Damon was at home the whole night of the murders and was on the phone with his two girlfriends, which happened to be the same story Damien told police, right? Yeah. Uh, the defense also brought up John Mark Byers' knife because it was found with blood on it. Did they test the blood? They did test the blood, and it came back human blood. And when asked about the blood, John responded that it was his own blood from a cut, and he also didn't know how human blood was got onto the knife. So then the defense called Robert Hicks to the stand, a police training officer who excelled in satanic crime. He stated that he knew of no connection between sexual mutilation and the occult. He also told jurors that we do have empirical evidence that listening to Metallica music does not lead people to commit crimes. Right, that's just a stereotype. He describes the phrase trappings of the occult used by the prosecution expert Dale Griffiths as absolutely meaningless in considering any kind of violent crimes. After Hicks finished up his testimony, the defense rested its case, and Jason Baldwin never testified. Okay. And then on March 18, 1994, the jury came back with the, their verdict. Both boys, Eccles and Baldwin, were found guilty of capital murder on all three accounts. Are you serious? Yeah. Now, both sentences were pretty bad, but Baldwin got a little bit of a better one in my eyes. Baldwin was sentenced to life in prison without parole, while Eccles was sentenced to death. So why was Eccles and not the guy who was sentenced separately? Because he confessed. Oh. Yeah, these two stayed innocent the whole time oh okay um but there is more to the story okay as i previously stated there was something that came up in 2012 many different books and series were made about the west memphis three which really did help their case about a wrongful conviction one of the first things came up in 2003 when vicky was interviewed by a reporter saying that the story she told the about the spat was a complete lie just about everyone who saw the series or read the books about the case thought that John Mark Byers was the true killer, so Chris Byers' stepfather. Right, yeah. But that all changed in 2007 when new DNA evidence came out about the case. This evidence proved that Eccles, Baldwin, and Miss Kelly were wrongfully convicted. Oh my gosh. The DNA found at the scene was none of the three convicted teens. It was actually that of Terry Hobbs, who was the stepfather of Stevie Branch, one of the kids that was killed. Apparently, though, that evidence failed to convince the original judge of having a new trial. That is until 2010 when the Arkansas Supreme Court called for a new case with the new DNA evidence. So the three who were convicted, did they get released? You're about to find out. Oh my goodness. So Eccles, Baldwin, and Miss Kelly had to accept the deal where they would plead guilty to the crimes but remain innocent. And this would allow the boys to be released. After all of them agreed to the deal, they were officially released on August 19th, 2011. If you want to know more about what actually happened in Robin Hood Hills on the night of the murders, I would recommend watching the documentary film West of Memphis. 
It goes into more details on Terry Hobbs, as well as a few other things about what might have happened on the fateful night of the murders of Chris Byers, Stevie Branch, and Michael Moore. And that was the story of the West Memphis Three, the most controversial case in the state of Arkansas to this day. Wait, that's it? Who got convicted? I don't believe anyone actually ended up getting convicted of the murders from what I did the research, my research on. But what about the DNA evidence that was linked to the one step? They just, they pretty much only just, from what I saw, at least from what I did my research on, it was all the way up to the part where the boys got released. So I guess that means we'll have to go watch the documentary. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. So that's really, that's it? Yeah. That's all I, that's all I did research on. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, at least. I mean, it was kind of obvious that it seemed like they were wrongly convicted. I mean, all of the evidence wasn't even all strong the evidence, evidence pointed against them committing these murders. Right. And they spent about twenty years of their lives, just under twenty years, in jail for something. For they something didn't they do. didn't do. Their do whole you- lives were thrown away. I do know that now that being released, I'm pretty sure. I know at least one of them is married. Because of one of the films, one of them is married. I don't know. I don't, I didn't really do too much research on their lives after the uh, being released. Did they um, ever say anything in any of your research about any settlements that they may have gotten afterwards? And look, I'm sure they probably did because most of the time in wrongful conviction cases, most people do get a pretty large sum of money. Yeah. I didn't see anywhere if they did or not. But I know that they've come out with plenty of books, movies, series on this kind of things. The one lady who recanted her statement about the SBAT, what was her leverage in even coming forward about some witch voodoo? From what I did see, because I did read about that as well, it was they didn't want to take they didn't want them to take her son away from her. And Uh-oh. so that's why as well. And apparently she also just wanted to, like I said, play detective because she thought it would be fun. Yeah, but then it leads the investigation in the wrong way, and she pretty much just told the tall tale. Yeah, she did. Wow. And we didn't know about it until 10 years later. That is really sad. Well, thank you again for listening and being here for our podcast. We have officially been doing this for a month, and it is honestly one of the highlights of Anton and I's week. Please download, like, share, and subscribe. If you are on social media, feel free to follow us on Instagram or Facebook where we post episode-related content and images, and you can find us or look us up at Couple of Criminals. We will see you back here next week where I will be reviewing crimes from the beautiful, sunny state of California. This is your Couple of Criminals signing off. Mm-hmm.